0: As as time went by in these two restaurants that I worked at I noticed uh, a a kind of an undercurrent of um, kind of I guess you would say kind of sexual harassment really from people who were in positions of power down to towards the apprentices and stuff that were working there, female apprentices. And I found that really weird and shocking, especially because I was kind of already in my mid-20s by that stage, and I was just like, this is not okay, you know?
1: This week on Dirty Linen, we are going to focus on women. Yay, the women. We're leading up to International Women's Day, and I thought it was a great opportunity to just check in with some women, see what hospitality is like for them, see what the issues are, and chat about toxic masculinity, which is in the news at the moment, as it bloody well should be. I'm speaking today to Miranda Marrera, who is a very old friend of mine. We actually went to school together. And she's probably the first person that I knew personally that went off and became a chef. But she is no longer working in the industry. And we're going to find out why. Hello, Miranda. Hey, Danny, how are you? I am really very well. Um, so happy to have you on the show. So we went f- out for an amazing meal a couple of weeks ago. We went out to, uh, was it Emerald, like somewhere in the hills? And we went to enter via laundry to enjoy a beautiful Indian feast from Haley Raychura at enter um, via laundry and when we were sitting there at our communal table, we chatted about lots of stuff. But one of the things we did talk about was your time in the hospitality industry and the fact that you're no longer working in it. Um, just give us give us a little bit of a sense of your journey there.
0: So I finished high school and went to art school and got you know my degree in fine art. And I'd always loved cooking. I worked in HOSPO during my degree in fine art, finished, got spat out of art school with kind of no real direction in a way. And I was just kind of really understanding the reality of the situation, which is that, you know, you've got to have another job if you want to do art, you know. So I fell into uh, an apprenticeship um, in one of the restaurants where I was working. Uh, which really kind of changed my life in many ways. Uh, For me, the idea of doing a cooking apprenticeship at that age, because I was a little older, I was like 22 or 23 when I started, um, felt like uh, for me it was like it was kind of weird because I was older, but I thought this is a great opportunity for me to travel later on. I thought I could take this kind of career all over the world if I wanted to.
1: Mm. And so I got into it. So who did you train with?
0: So, I trained at Cafe K in the city. It was just a sweet restaurant owned by cooney like um, who who had the kind of like quite well known Japanese restaurant uh, at the top of Little Burke Street um, uh, many years ago um, and he owned Cafe K and it was like a kind of a kind of italian european style food um, you know it was lovely place to work, and we had a lot of fun there. And I was just working as a kind of a kitchen hand, really, as part-time work. And then Deb, who was the head chef, was she just kind of said to me one day, look, you're pretty good at this. Do you want to actually do your apprenticeship with us? And so that's how it started.
1: And you said it it sort of changed your life or set you on in a, a new direction. Like, did you love it? Like, did it really, was it mind-opening or was it? did it just feel like a job? Like, what was it like?
0: So at the beginning it was like this kind of lovely, delightful um, work where there was lots of banter and uh, I loved working with food, Uh, I loved, you know, playing around with flavours and I loved the sense of camaraderie that we had in the kitchen and I also really loved the sense of satisfaction at the end of the night, of having a busy night, having made food that was, you know, instantly enjoyed by people and it was kind of like this sense of completion at the end of every night, which was kind of quite wonderful.
1: Mm. Very satisfying. It was very satisfying. I love those things about it. And how did things progress? So
0: I ended up um, getting a job. So I, I did part of my apprenticeship with Cafe K and then I ended up with uh, at a couple of places that were a little different. Uh, so Cafe K, the kitchen was run by a woman, a female chef, and there was a couple of gorgeous gay guys that worked in the kitchen too. And it was just a really lovely vibe. It was very kind of inclusive and friendly and respectful. And then I went to a couple of restaurants that I'm not going to name, but they both of them had a very uh, much more old school, aggressive, um, shouty, um, I hate to say it, but male vibe in the kitchen. Um, It was uh, quite a shock. And there was a lot of, as, as time went by in these two restaurants that I worked at, I noticed a, a, a kind of a undercurrent of um, kind of, I guess you would say, kind of sexual harassment really from people who were in positions of power down to towards the apprentices and stuff that were working there, female apprentices. And I found that really weird and shocking, especially because I was kind of already in my mid twenties by that stage, and I was just like, "This is not okay," you know.
1: Did you feel empowered to, you know, speak up against it, or to, to, to I don't know, to report it to anybody? I mean, was that was that did that feel possible? I think at the time there was
0: definitely a culture of putting up with it and rolling your eyes, you know. Um, and kind of just being one of the guys and just allowing it to happen. But my partner at the time, he was um, he was really angry about it and he came and had a chat with the person involved and actually kind of really stood up for me and said, this is not okay, what you're doing. Um, and the guy was completely in shock that anybody challenged him on it. And it was quite a, a – it was a bit of a game changer. It really got me out of that environment, um, noting this guy's reaction, which was kind of incredulous, like why would she be offended by that kind of stuff? Um, and so it really steered me on a path of getting out of those types of kitchens and finding a really beautiful, respectful kitchen, uh,
1: again, where I could mm. work. Um and- And were you able to do that?
0: Yeah. So I ended up working and finishing my apprenticeship with the gorgeous Greg Maloof, um, who is, you know, one of Australia's beloved chefs who specialised in Middle Eastern cooking. Um, He, going to work with Greg at O'Connell's, it was a real, it was hard to get the job and I was very persistent. I called every few weeks and kind of said, look, I really want to work with you, I really want to work with you. And he was like, nothing available now, but try again down the track. So I kept on trying and then one day I got home from work from the other place and I, there was a message on my phone from Greg Maloof and I was so excited and he basically said, yep, come in and give us a trial. And so that changed a lot of things for me. It was a beautiful kitchen environment. It was still pretty hectic and kind of, a, you know, it wasn't shouty in a bad way but it was pretty, um, it was a very exhausting and 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 kind of, the hours were gruelling and you were expected to, you know, be at the top of your game working for Greg. And that was really amazing. It was a huge learning curve for me and I improved dramatically in the next, you know, six months working with him. I ended up staying there for a few years. Mm. So, But Greg is a beautiful, um, respectful uh, uh, head chef who makes you want to do your best for him uh, in a calm and
1: kind way, you know. Well, that sounds good. I mean, I suppose, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, you, you've spoken about kitchens that were lovely and kitchens that were more tricky to, you know, feel respected. Do you do you feel like it, it was, it was or it is a, cu- a cultural thing in hospitality? Or is it just like the world in general, where, you know, some people are good, and some people are tricky, some people make you feel fine, and some people make you feel bad? I think it's, It's a mixture of the
0: two. Sorry for interrupting. I think it is a mixture of the two, but I think definitely in the world of hospitality kitchens, um, there is and has been, and I think it's probably shifting a bit now. It's been a long time since I've been in a kitchen, but I think back in those days there was a real sense of you had to be tough, you had to be – it was a little bit like being in the army. It was like you're not going to get much money for this, but you've got to take a lot of pride in your work, you've got to do gruelling hours – and you've got to suck it up. There was a real vibe of suck it up, you know, even though the money was pretty terrible, and the hours were completely antisocial and grueling, and there was, you know, there was quite a lot of drinking at the end of the night and stuff like that. So, um, it's it's a tough it's a tough uh, it's a tough industry.
1: Mm. So, how did things progress? How, what happened after you worked with Greg?
0: Well, I finished my apprenticeship with Greg and it was wonderful. Um, I felt really proud that I'd done it with him. Uh, I stayed there for a little bit longer and then I took off. I left Australia. I had landed in London, got a great job there for seven months in um, in at the Great Eastern Dining Room, which was in kind of Hoxton, Shoreditch area in 1999, which was kind of a great time to be in London. And then through that, I got an incredible um, kind of unicorn job working for a famous French actor in Paris, um, and I ended up living in Paris for six years, and um, that was brilliant.
1: <laughs> Do we have to guess who it was?
0: <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine a French actor that looks like he enjoys food.
1: <laughs> um, I want to say Gerard Depardieu.
0: Exactly. So I ended up working for him and his family <clears throat> on uh, for six years, and during that time, I also worked for a few other people that were in the industry. Uh, Johnny Depp was uh, one of my one of the people that I worked for, and that was brilliant, um, uh, lovely, lovely person. So yeah, the whole Paris thing was just in a whole other world, um, and it was um, a really wonderful way to kind of finish up my career in a way as a servant for people, if you, if you understand what I mean. I think in a way working in kitchens, there's this it's serving people, you know, and I moved to Paris and I was still serving people, but it was in a different environment and coming back to Melbourne, uh, very heavily pregnant with my first baby, um, I realised I just couldn't do kitchens anymore or hospitality anymore.
1: Let's just head back to Paris briefly, because I really want to ask you: How do you feed Gerard Depardieu, someone who obviously is um, a lover of food, a a gourmand? um, What what kind of stuff do you put in front of him?
0: So they're all the like. So the 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 family and Gerard were all about um, very beautiful, fresh produce. So there was lots of whole baked um, sea bass, for example. Lo- loads and loads of seasonal roast vegetables and huge salads. Um, there was – every every year there was the Garragette strawberry season. Do we have Garagette strawberries in Australia?
1: Do you no. know? I don't but, even know what that is. These are these are strawberries that come out
0: in Europe or in France for um, a very short period of time, maybe six weeks or eight weeks every year, um, and they are the most strawberry-flavoured strawberries you can ever imagine. They're very – they're kind of longish and very red and just juicy and insane. You cannot go back to a normal strawberry after you've had a Garragette strawberry. Anyway, so those kind of things. And they, I think at the time that I was there, they they cost something like 16 euros a kilo or something like that. <laughs> wow. And so it was, you know, and that was a long time ago. So it was all about, you know, spending money, like obviously they were very wealthy, spending, you know, large amounts of money on very, very beautiful, exquisite produce from, I had to, you know, go on my scooter and drive, you know, 15K to find the, the exact right fish for them, you know, from the perfect um, fish shop you know, so it was all about the finest produce and very simple cooking styles, so lots of roasts and baking and things like that. And would you eat with them? No, not really. I was just kind of pottering around and chatting with them, but I would never sit down at the table with them. That was just too weird. I was, (laughs) no.
1: (laughs) And what about Johnny Depp? What does he want to eat?
0: Johnny and Vanessa, who were completely delightful, um, uh, they, Johnny in particular, he he likes American style food. So there was, you know, burgers and you know, very simple pasta, um, you know, roast chicken, fried southern fried chicken, things like that. So it that was a kind of a simple American kind of uh, vaguely fast food style of of cooking for him and Vanessa.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, Amazing.
0: Yeah, it was great.
1: So you came back to Australia, you were about to have your first child and, I mean, so it doesn't sound like being heavily pregnant is exactly the right time to step back into a, a commercial kitchen in Melbourne, but did you think that you couldn't go back to kitchen work at all?
0: So I, I ended up, I, I came back to Melbourne and, and gorgeous Greg Maloof um, had um, Mo, what was it called? Momo. Momo yeah. yeah, Momo. And he was like, Mully, that was my nickname, Molly, because I, like, I looked like I had a mullet whenever I wore the chef's hat. So, Molly, um, <laughs> come and work for us. We don't care if you're pregnant. Just do whatever you want, you know, as many hours as you can do kind of thing. So it was very sweet. So I ended up working at Momo uh, with a big belly and in the kitchen briefly. So it was only for maybe five months. I was so out of my depth. It was a really incredible kitchen with an incredibly talented team and super fast, and i was just i'd been re- relaxing in paris for 6 years basically you know cruising around beautiful french homes and cooking in their kitchens without any pressure really and so mm. it was i was very much out of my depth and also i realized i don't know if i can do this anymore like you know peeling you know huge big <laughs> buckets of of braised ox tongues you know like or or, or chopping and peeling you know 20 kilo bags of onions. I just was like I just don't know if I can do this anymore. It's um it's really a tough job and you know going home and scrubbing all the smells off your arms and under your fingernails and stuff like that especially when you're pregnant pretty tough, you know? Yeah. But also, you know, I still loved and enjoyed the incredible talent that I was working in amongst and loved still working with food like there's something beautiful about making incredible meals for people you know there's something lovely about that but while i was working there i was just ticking over in my brain the whole time what can i do what can i do what can i do that's not in a kitchen i need to come up with some other career and i just started my i started my little design business and that's been going and growing ever since
1: so your business is called Bride and Wolf and you make really, well, you, you you describe what you do. So I make, at the moment it seems to be the main thing that I'm making that
0: people love is I make bright coloured mirrors. So I make mirrors that go on the wall. They're made out of um, plexiglass so they're multicoloured. Um, so each 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 mirror uh, has got a few different colours on it and so it's quite unusual. You don't normally see these kind of things around. And I guess the most popular one that I do is in the shape of a lightning bolt and it featured in the David Bowie's exhibition that travelled all around the world. Um, they were selling them there. And uh, I do, you know, multicoloured roller skate mirrors or multicoloured lips mirrors or I do ice cream mirrors. Um, and it's just a joy. It's a, a, I feel incredibly grateful that I get to make these beautiful objects of art and sell them to people who love them.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, what you do is, is great, but I suppose it, it, to me, it's, it's interesting and, and a bit sad that, you know, talented women like yourself don't see a place for them, a, a comfortable, workable position for themselves in the food industry. And, and so many women are lost to kitchen life. Do you, why do you think that is? And what would need to change for women to stay, to, to enter and to stay longer in kitchens?
0: Oh, my goodness. I just, I don't even know where to start on this one. I think that's, you know, it's the way society is run. I mean, you know, when, you know, if, if you want to have a family and bring up children, it's very, very difficult to work in a successful kitchen. You, you need to be all over uh, what's going on in a kitchen uh, if you're a head chef. And uh, it is, you know, it's just, it's, it's very hard to do that when you've got beautiful small children, and you are missing out on bedtimes. You know, five nights a week. Um, and aside from that, I guess there is the the labor of it. Like it's a physical, very physical um, job. With uh, and yeah, it's a tough. It's a tough job. I don't know. I don't know what could change. I think more female run, uh, and more female run restaurants with you know maybe different. Um, I don't know. I, I I don't have the answer to that, but I I think you know something needs to
1: shift. How much of it do you think is about you know respect? You know, you spoke of the sexual harassment that you experienced. Do you do you think that that is a big part of of why women don't stay in kitchens?
0: I don't. I I don't know. I think that a lot of the women that I worked with. Um, were just continuing with the eye rolling stuff and putting up with it. Um, I I look. I think probably things have changed a lot now. I, I don't I don't hang out with a huge amount of people who work in kitchens anymore. But I would say that just through you know big shifts generally uh, in you know in society in the last five maybe ten years with the Me Too movement and stuff like that, I think that probably there's been a, a big shift in, in hospitality, um, in particular in the kitchens. I think it's very different from front of house. I think there's a, um, there's, um, I don't know, it seems like there's some, you know, strong female presence in front of house in, in a lot of restaurants that I've been to recently, which I really enjoy, um, probably more so than when I used to work back in the 90s. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I I think probably things are shifting a little bit and with the, regards to the uh, this idea of respect, I think unfortunately back in the day you were respected if you put up with it. There was a kind of a respect like, ah, oh, she's cool, she's one of the guys, she'll put up with it, you know, um, and that's where you got the respect, which was really weird.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's <a> little, it's, <laughs> yeah, that is really weird. You, We will respect you if you respect. If you deal with us disrespecting you. Yeah.
0: If you allow us to be kind of gross, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you some kind of begrudging respect. It's very toxic.
1: It's, you mentioned, you know, that the kitchens were quite hierarchical and it's like it was sort of, you know, you could relate it to being in the army. And I think when, when those power structures are so, um, they're so much a part of, of how things run and things are, you know, the decisions are made top down. There isn't a culture of speaking up or speaking back. You just get on with it. I think that, that is really an environment where um, any kind of discrimination is, is, is more likely to flourish, whether it's um, sexual discrimination or, or racial or whatever it is. is. Did you feel that that was the case?
0: Um, I did. I feel that was the case. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know where to go. Like, I didn't know who to speak to, you know, And because the guy was at the top. He was the, this particular person who was quite harassing. He was at the top, so I didn't really know where else to go. Um, and it, it took, you know, a man, my partner at the time, to talk to him uh, to make it kind of ease up a little bit, you know. So, yes, yeah, I mean, when it starts at the top, where do you go?
1: Hmm. Um so you've got sons are, are you, do you focus a lot on talking to them about how you how to relate to women
0: um i i kind of um i i think i show them how to relate to women by our conversations together um and giving them you know viewpoints that uh, I have that might be different to theirs in certain areas and but also allowing them to have their viewpoints and um, just there being a general sense of mutual respect kind of thing um I try not to push too hard because I think with there's a balance between pushing hard with teenage boys and them rejecting your thoughts and um, and uh, so yeah there's a balance there
1: mm. Yeah, amazing. So do you still enjoy cooking? Oh, do I enjoy cooking? Oh, how look, I
0: sometimes I love it. Um I just I still what I like is that I know how to make things taste good. So and I don't really need to follow recipes a lot of the time, which so that that my kids I think are really starting to realize that mum makes good food. Um and that's interesting because i think f- they've taken it for granted for a long time. Um i I teach, you know, i'm trying to teach the kids how to cook, so we make homemade gnocchi together and 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 i show they they're involved in many of the things that i make, which are all pretty s- similar things to what i made in paris really like, you know, you know, baked fish or you know simple things like, you know, organic kind of chicken soups and stuff like that. So um so I want my obviously I want my boys to to have that neither of them is particularly, you know, super fascinated with cooking um but they they've got some basic skills and I I hope that they can continue learning while they live with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, awesome Miranda. Um I'm looking forward to the Brian Wolf's food series. Do you want to tell us about that as we wrap it up. Oh Yes, so
0: I am making a new range and it's going to be called Glass by Bright and Wolf and it's a range of glass mirrors. So for the first time I'll be using real glass as opposed to plexiglass, which is kind of like glass, but it's, um, it's made from, um, perspex. Um, and so, uh, I'm doing at this stage I'm starting off with 3 designs one of them is this incredible multi it's how would I describe it it's a it's a it's a mirror that changes color when you look at it from different angles. And I'm doing a huge bunch of grapes, um, and I've got this mirror that's kind of it, – it changes colour from purple through to kind of a dark turquoise, and uh, so it's going to be this beautiful kind of 1970s Italian vibe up on the wall, big bunch of grapes. Anybody who loves wine or whatever will love this mirror. The design is gorgeous, and I'm very excited to get my first sample in the next month or so. And then I'm doing a huge banana, <laughs> so like a big – yellow glass banana um, that can go either vertically or horizontally and then I'm also doing a big sexy peach that kind of looks like
1: a bum Wow, I can <laughs> really, I think there need to be in cafes all over Australia
0: Yeah, I think they're going to be really fun. I feel like, you know we need some some fun uh in our homes and uh and these are a little bit sexy as well so i think that's nice as well a bit of fun sexy uh decor in people's homes
1: great um all right thanks miranda it's great to get a little bit of insight into your storied varied life um thank you so much for sharing with us today
0: total pleasure great to talk to you danny
1: okay see ya This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We wanna hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.